Hey, parents and little adventurers. Ever wondered where hot dogs come from? Dive into a world of wonder with the new children's book about cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture? What's that? It's the science behind tomorrow's foods. Discover the journey of a family barbecue in a way that's fun, educational, and downright tasty. Grab your copy of Where Do Hot Dogs Come From? on Amazon today. Yum! The future sounds so delicious. Curious for more? Visit www.hotdog.fyi. Happy reading! Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. We're excited to have Kenny Torella as the guest for today's episode. This is the first episode in our fourth season, which covers future food trends. If you're at the Industrializing Cell-Based Meat Summit in San Francisco this week, come by and say hi. Our event in partnership with Santa Clara University, Live Cells vs. Livestock, featuring speakers from the Good Food Institute, Mission Barns, and New Age Meats, wrapped up about a week ago. Upcoming events at Santa Clara University are being planned now, and information will be available soon. Find upcoming event details and episode transcripts at www.futurefoodshow.com. The new food conference on March 21st and March 22nd, 2019 in Berlin, Germany will explore the areas of consumer acceptance, shaping of the European market, and increasing media attention and public awareness to subjects of plant-based and cultured meats. Attend the event for lively networking and a critical discussion among industry partners, including international stakeholders in the food industry, as well as producers and experts in the retail and catering sectors. Tickets and detailed information about the program can be found at www.proveg.com new-food-conference. This interview was recorded in July 2018, and since then, we've seen updates in terms of USDA and FDA regulation, as well as Prop 12, items that are covered in this episode. Kenny Torella serves as Mercy for Animals Director of Communications. He works with MFA's team of writers and editors and has garnered media attention for farmed animals in mainstream news outlets, such as Associated Press, The Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and Fortune Magazine. After watching undercover investigator footage from factory farms and slaughterhouses 10 years ago, Kenny became vegan and has been active for animals since. He lives in Washington, D.C. with his partner and their rescue dog, Rihanna. Kenny, I'd like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. Thanks so much for having me on, Alex. Excited to be here. Kenny, tell us a little bit about Mercy for Animals and how you became involved with the organization. So Mercy for Animals is the largest international charity dedicated to preventing cruelty to farmed animals and promoting compassionate food choices and policies. We protect farmed animals through our four main program areas. So undercover investigations into factory farms and slaughterhouses to expose animal abuse. Um, We do legal advocacy to defend whistleblowers, hold animal abusers accountable, and advance laws that protect farmed animals. We engage with corporations to move major food companies uh, to implement meaningful animal welfare policies, and we raise public awareness about the plight of farmed animals um, through social media and our national volunteer program. And I became involved with Mercy for Animals 
um, actually almost a decade ago. So I became vegetarian in high school after watching investigations into factory farms and slaughterhouses. Um, I had been interested in progressive politics. And from a young age, I had liked animals and had been sensitive to their suffering. And so when I learned about the greater animal protection movement when I was in college, I immediately got involved. Um, I became vegan and I saw the documentary Earthlings, which inspired me to become an advocate for animals. Um, and then shortly after I graduated, I moved to Ohio for about two months to work on a ballot measure there to ban the extreme confinement of farmed animals. And Mercy for Animals was a major player in that, in that ballot measure. So I got involved with Mercy for Animals then, um, and I actually went to go work at Mercy for Animals for two years um, until I then worked at the Humane Society of the U.S. for five years on farmed animal policy at the state level. So again, working in various states to ban the extreme confinement of farmed animals. And then now I'm, I'm back at Mercy for Animals in a communications role, communicating the importance of preventing cruelty to farmed animals and adopting more compassionate food choices and policies, which of course includes cultured meat. You mentioned like investigations. I heard that it's like illegal to take photos in certain animal agriculture businesses. And that, that's, that sounds pretty ridiculous to me. Is, it, is that a thing? And, and I guess why is it? You're right. A few states have passed what are called ag-gag laws, and these laws make it a crime not to abuse an animal, but to expose the abuse of an animal. So these laws block undercover investigators from conducting investigations into factory farms and slaughterhouses. And this is a type of law that the meat, dairy, and egg industries have been pushing for years at the state level. These bills actually first cropped up in the, in the 90s, but came back in a big way um, around the year 2010, 2011, um, in state houses across the country. More than 30 state bills were introduced to ban undercover investigations into factory farms and slaughterhouses. Thankfully, most of those bills failed. Some of the bills that have passed have actually been overturned um, by federal judges. Lawmakers and, and lobbyists with the meat, dairy, and egg industries have been pushing for ag-gag laws for years because they don't want the public to see the cruel reality of factory farms. You know, Egg-laying hens crammed in cages so small they can't even flap their wings. Mother pigs in crates so narrow they can't even turn around or lie down comfortably for nearly their entire lives. Um, animal cruelty is the status quo inside factory farms and slaughterhouses, and these ag-gag laws are a, way, are a method to cover it up. But thankfully, most state bills have failed and numerous state laws have been overturned. We hear a lot about like grass-fed beef or cage-free chickens. Are these alternatives actually any better from an animal welfare standpoint? Yeah, so it depends which term that we're talking about. As you, know, you and many of your listeners know, the life of the average factory farmed animal is pure torture. You know, chickens raised for meat are confined in large warehouses um, where they are bred to grow so large so fast that many can't even walk without pain. And, and so while Mercy for Animals, we do advocate for veganism, we also advocate for abolishing the worst factory farming practices, like the ones I just mentioned, and in favor of less cruel systems. So for example, cage-free certainly doesn't mean cruelty-free, but um, at least in cage-free facilities, 
chickens can move about, they can socialize, they can flap their wings and engage in some natural behaviors. So it varies term to term as to how much the term may actually mean, but certainly these terms can, can be misleading and can lead people to think that animals are treated better than they actually are. With regards to health claims, according to Tamar Haspel, a Washington Post columnist, um, there are few, if any, differences in the healthfulness of factory farm meat, milk, and eggs versus less cruel systems. So at, at Mercy for Animals, we focus on abolishing the worst factory farming practices and exposing the routine cruelties that occur every day inside America's factory farms and slaughterhouses. And yeah, I, I think consumers should take a look at what each label means, but the best way to prevent cruelty to farmed animals is to simply leave them off our plate and um, opt for a plant-based diet, and in the future, um, of course, incorporate cultured food products into their diet as well. So there's a lot of common misconceptions, right? Especially around that, like, milk uh, gives you strong bones, or that meat is a requirement for the human diet because of vitamin B12. But both of these are actually not true. Uh, so what is the best way to de demystify some of these misconceptions to the general public? How do we get to the point where we think that milk gives you strong bones? Was it all just marketing from the from the dairy farmers? So it's important to push back against false health claims made by the meat, dairy, and egg industries, and also bring attention to their enormous influence on federal nutrition policy and, and school food policy. There's a fantastic article in Quartz by Dina Shanker titled, The U.S. Meat Industry's Wildly Successful uh, 40-Year Crusade to Keep Its Hold on the American Diet, um, which I highly recommend. And you know, part of her analysis shines light on the backwards role of the USDA. You know, the USDA is was created to both regulate the meat industry but also promote it, which has led to an enormous you know conflict of interest. And there have been numerous attempts since the 1970s by healthy food advocates for the USDA's nutritional guidelines and recommendations to include less meat, dairy, and eggs, and more plant-based foods, but industry influence has consistently blocked progress. Um, other documentaries and books have, have chronicled this influence, you know, from Food Inc. to Fast Food Nation um, to the work of Marion Nessel. But I think the way we can most effectively challenge dubious health claims made by the meat, dairy, and egg industries is to instead focus on the health benefits of veganism. While it's not a panacea for health issues, uh, vegans, vegetarians, and meat reducers tend to have better health outcomes, um, lower rates of diabetes, heart disease, and certain cancers. And throughout our communications at Mercy for Animals, you know, from our member magazine to our millions of social media followers, we're consistently touting the health benefits of eliminating or at least significantly reducing animal product consumption and you know giving a voice to to the growing chorus of doctors and, and health organizations that are pushing for less meat and more plants we hear a lot about like pork is the other white meat right and i i don't know if that's supposed to mean that white meat is healthier or that it's more comparable to chicken do you have any insight on that uh on that slogan yeah, so I think that's the pork industry's attempt to, to try to paint it as a health food. But study after study comes out finding that not just red meat, but all meat 
um, when consumed at the levels that most Americans consume meat, or even at much lower levels, isn't good for human health. And that simply replacing meat-based diets with more plant-based diets leads to better health outcomes. On that note, I recently heard that for a long time, poultry was not considered meat. And there, there had to be regulatory shifts to be able to even call poultry products meat products. So let's shift gears into cultured meat. Uh, when we're creating cultured meat, we have to take samples from uh, an animal to produce these larger quantities. Is that seen as humane for us to take that initial sample? Absolutely. MFA... Mercy for Animals enthusiastically supports cultured meat as it has the potential to abolish factory farming and animal slaughter altogether in the coming decades. Mercy for Animals actually helped to launch the Good Food Institute, um, a, a leading organization working on cultured foods and future foods and, and plant-based foods. Um, we helped launch the Good Food Institute as a new organization through MFA because we're so excited about the potential of cultured meat, as well as improving plant-based meat and, and other plant-based products. So yeah, we enthusiastically support cultured foods. Uh, would cultured meats or clean meats, would those be considered vegan? Technically, cultured meat wouldn't be considered vegan because it does come from an animal. But I think most vegans view cultured meat as a fantastic te technological um, innovation that even, you know, as, as a longtime vegan, uh, many of us would be open to consuming it time to time. For me, it might be more of a novelty because I've just become so accustomed to eating plant-based that I don't know if I would eat it on a regular basis. But I think that if it's produced, if it's mass produced in a cruelty-free manner, meaning that um, the, you know, the media is plant-based and no animals are, are harmed in the harvesting of cells, then I certainly, you know, would encourage everyone, including vegans, to, to at least try it and, and encourage others to, to incorporate cultured foods into their diet. So it could be considered that there are different stages that one may go through when they're transitioning to a vegan diet. For example, lowering their meat uh, consumption, uh, a lot of people switch to becoming pescatarian and only starting with fish products, then going over to vegetarian and then eventually vegan. Uh, how do you think that cultured meat might fall into this equation? I think the early cultured meat adopters will be the people you just described, um, people who are on the spectrum between you know, eating meat and being vegan. They know that to some degree, factory farming is unethical and terrible for the environment and that you know, billions of thinking and feeling animals are crammed into factory farms, but they haven't yet taken the jump to full-on vegetarianism or veganism. And if it's the case in which you know, all these people who would have otherwise gone vegetarian or vegan eventually instead only consume clean meat, milk, and eggs, again, assuming that plant-based media will be the norm and animals won't be harmed in the, in the harvesting of cells, then I think that's clearly still a win for animals in the environment. You know, I don't think animals on factory farms care whether consumers are eating plant-based food or if they're eating cultured foods. Whatever purchase results in fewer or no animals being raised and slaughtered for food is progress. Can you imagine a future where animal agriculture is completely replaced with cellular agriculture? And is, is this really the future that Mercy for Animals would like to see? 
Absolutely. Um, our mission is to end factory farming and ultimately all animal agriculture. And we're agnostic on whether that's achieved through getting institutions and individuals to replace meat, dairy, and eggs with plant-based foods or with cultured foods, as, as long as the result is is that no animals are, are raised and slaughtered for food, you know, we're agnostic about how we get there. But I think, you know, there are a lot of pathways to cultured meat actually ending animal agriculture. And I think the most realistic pathway, which is not so dissimilar to how many plant-based foods are beginning to gain market share, is that over the next few years, I think we'll begin to see cultured animal products slowly introduced at higher-end restaurants and grocers, you know, generating buzz and, and more consumer acceptance, which can then spur more investment and more R&D. We're already seeing that with products like the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger and, and uh, the Just Scrambled Eggs. And it seems like this is a similar rollout that uh, cultured meat companies will probably take as they start to get into the, the restaurant space and, and the grocery space. And then hopefully we'll see cultured foods tested out in bigger pilot programs through grocers or food service companies or restaurant chains. And then hopefully it'll become cost competitive and start to gain more and more market share, especially thanks to some of these bigger partnerships that we're seeing some of the cultured food companies taking on, like PHW Group investing in super meat. You know, PHW Group is one of the largest meat producers in the world. And so it's exciting to see them collaborating with Supermeat. Similarly, Cargill and Tyson um, have invested in Memphis Meats and Bell Food Group uh, has invested in Mosa Meat. And we could see that these partners and investors could rapidly accelerate the manufacturing and distribution of cultured foods, which could be a serious factor into cultured foods being responsible for, for ending animal agriculture. But of course, there could be roadblocks along the way. You know, Right now, we'll see whether the FDA or the USDA will regulate cultured foods. We'll see you know, if, if cultured food companies will be able to meet their benchmarks for becoming cost competitive. You know, how quickly will nonprofits like New Harvest and the Cellular Agriculture Society be able to build an academic field around cultured foods? So there's just an incredible amount of possibility, and I think we all see a pathway to cultured food eventually abolishing animal agriculture in the coming decades, um, or at least conventional animal agriculture. Uh, but there are also numerous challenges along the way, too. I think you might have already answered this, uh, but we do have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, Walter from Germany asks, uh, would you personally uh, eat cultured meat? I would. Um, again, that's with the, the caveat that assuming the media is plant-based and, and animals aren't harmed um, in the harvesting of cells, then I certainly would. Um, I don't know if I would eat it on a regular basis um, just because I've become so accustomed um, to eating plant-based foods as a, as a vegan for 11 years now. But I would certainly like to try it as a novelty. And for the people in my life, like friends and family who aren't vegan, and you know, may never go full on vegan. I would really encourage them to to eat cultured foods. Not not necessarily cultured meat, but plant based meat. A very big and popular uh, topic is Impossible Burger. What are your thoughts on the Impossible Burger? Yeah, so I I really like the Impossible Burger um, and the Beyond Burger. This is a common argument among friends: which one is better? Yeah. and um, it's hard to pick one. I think I personally prefer the Beyond Burger, but I really like the Impossible Burger too. 
I think the Impossible Burger is is maybe the most meat-like product I've ever had as a, as a longtime vegan. And so I think that might be more likely to uh, win over meat eaters. But just to, from pers the personal taste standpoint, I prefer the Beyond Burger. But there are so many good products on the market um, nowadays. I've always really enjoyed Gardein products, products from Field Roast and Tofurky. It's an exciting time to, to be a part of this movement and to see how food innovation is making more and more people open-minded to switching to a plant-based diet. I remember that you know, when I became vegan, it was even hard to find soy milk for coffee um, in, in coffee shops back then. And now we see products like the Beyond Burger in you know, lining the, the grocery store shelves at mainstream grocers and the Impossible Burger being sold at White Castle. Um, so it's a really exciting, exciting time to be a part of, of this movement and witness the change that is, is going on in this space. I think my vote is in for the uh, Beyond Meat Burger as well, although I do like both the Beyond and the Impossible Burger. But, uh, but yeah, and, and it's funny you mentioned that regarding milk, right? Because, for example, I've switched to almond milk or soy milk, and it's, it's hard to imagine not being able to find those products in, in grocery stores. Or I mean, grocery stores, uh, of course, um, they were there before the coffee shops, but, but even uh, not being in the coffee shops, it's hard to imagine that even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The the innovation that's that's been underway in the plant based food sector over the last few years has just completely changed the game on on this issue. I, you know, again, you know, a decade ago, the best product out there were, were Boca burgers. And don't get me wrong, I still like Boca chicken patties. I, I actually had one this week, but there there were just very few options and the options just weren't as, as advanced as they are today. So um, it's becoming easier and easier literally every day to eat, plant, eat plant-based um, and to advocate for plant-based food because you know the plant-based food is now often just as good as any other food. And so, yeah, we're really excited to see all the progress that's been made in the plant-based food sector. How much of the work that the nonprofits such as Mer Mercy for Animal are doing is related to politics or lobbying? Yeah, so with regards to lobbying and politics, for years that's been a focus of Mercy for Animals. Right now we are working as, as a coalition partner in the Prevent Cruelty California campaign um, to pass Prop 12 this November, which would ban the extreme confinement of farmed animals, not only in California, but it would also ban the sale of pork, veal, and eggs from confined animals, uh, wherever they are, whether they were raised and slaughtered in California or outside of California. Um, so that's a big focus for Mercy for Animals this year. And we actually just released an investigation, an undercover investigation into a facility that uses gestation crates for mother pigs, crates that confine mother pigs so intensively, they can't even turn around for, for nearly their entire lives. Um, this is a facility that ships pigs to a slaughterhouse that ships products into California. So we, with this investigation, we showed California voters what's at stake when they go to vote on Prop 12 this November to ban the extreme confinement of farmed animals. Uh, we've also lobbied for years against ag-gag laws uh, in state houses. And we, we're also seeing new types of state bills that aim to ban uh, plant-based food companies and uh, cultured food companies from using the the terms meat and milk on their labels. A bill recently passed in Missouri that will ban 
plant-based meat companies from using the term meat on their products, and we uh, spoke out against that bill. And yeah, so lobbying and and being politically active is is a is a major component of Mercy for Animals' strategy to end factory farming. Um, we also see groups like you know the Good Food Institute doing a lot of lobbying work uh, on on Capitol Hill and also at the state level to uh, ensure that plant-based food companies can use terms like meat and milk on their products. And um, right now, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of focus on whether the FDA or the USDA will regulate cultured meat and, and cultured food products. And I know the Good Food Institute is doing a lot of fantastic work on that uh, on that front as well. Yeah, and the, the Good Food Institute has definitely been a, a great resource, not only from that standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, of really educating um, the world about uh, about this technology. Yeah. What can we do today, either from a political standpoint or even a diet standpoint, to get closer to ending animal agriculture? Yeah, this is a really big question, and this will probably be a long answer, because <laughs> there's a lot that we can do. So first, I think it's important that we we not stay in our bubbles, and we engage more and more stakeholders in this movement, such as health and public, public health organizations, environmental organizations, um, consumer protection organizations, just to name a few examples, but also engage the food technology uh, sector. Ending animal agriculture and replacing it with a system built on plant-based food products and cultured animal products is no small feat, and we should do as much as possible to bring more people into the conversation and have roles to advocate for a better food system. I think this shouldn't just be confined to uh, people who work at cultured food companies or people who work at animal protection organizations. We need to bring as many voices as possible into this movement. And we also need to you know, step across the aisle. It's incredible, like I mentioned earlier, it's incredible to see some of the cultured food companies actually partnering with some of the largest meat companies like Tyson, like Cargill, um, because they will be able to open up so many doors to the plant-based meat and cultured food sectors and, and companies. So I think we need to bring more people into the fold. That's certainly one of them. I also think we need to advocate at an institutional level. So getting major institutions like schools, we need to work with institutions like hospitals, school districts, food companies, and more to adopt compassionate food policies. And that can range from getting schools and hospitals to serve less meat and more plants, whether it's through a program like Meatless Monday or a program like Mercy for Animals Conscious Eating Program, um, which has worked with schools and hospitals and other institutions in Brazil and Mexico to uh, replace about 27 million meat-based meals per year with plant-based meals. So we have to work at the institutional level and also engage with major food companies like Walmart and McDonald's and Nestle to ban the worst factory farming abuses in their supply chain and also push them to um, create and uh, invest in plant-based foods. And we're seeing um, this as a major trend of, uh, of just the last few years. As I mentioned earlier, Tyson Foods has become an investor in Beyond Meat, and they now own more than 5% of Beyond Meat, which is really exciting to see that traditional meat companies see that cultured foods and plant-based foods are the future, 
And rather than be disrupted, they want to be a part of the disruption. We're also seeing major food companies like Nestle um, bring more and more uh, plant-based food products into their own lines. And we can also look at examples of you know, White Castle selling the Impossible Burger. Dean Foods, the largest U.S. dairy producer, invested in and invested and signed onto a distribution deal with Good Karma, a plant-based milk and yogurt startup. Um, and so, again, I think it's important that we not just stay in our bubble of food technologists or animal advocates, um, but to engage other sectors and even people who maybe for a long time we viewed as opponents try to see opportunities for partnerships. So um, I, I think you know there, there's never been a more exciting time to be a part of this movement as uh, plant-based food and culture food companies are really taking off and actually starting to gain market share. So I think also just as advocates, we need to share these stories and share these products with people in our circles. Is there anything we can do uh, here in California regarding Prop 12? Yeah, so visit preventcruelty.ca.com and sign up to volunteer. It's going to be a massive campaign with people knocking on doors, handing out flyers at large festivals, making phone calls to voters, getting businesses to endorse, getting politicians to endorse the ballot measure. Uh, just recently, the entire California Democratic Party endorsed Prop 12. So definitely visit preventcruelty.ca.com and sign up to volunteer. We need all hands on deck. It's going to be a really exciting campaign. And if it passes, it'll be the nation's strongest farmed animal protection law. And, and that might be a great example for, for other states to follow along afterwards. Exactly. In 2016, Massachusetts passed a uh, nearly identical law, and now we're we're campaigning to get California to, to catch up. And yeah, you're right, this will set incredible precedent um, for states to take action on preventing the worst factory farming abuses. And your listeners can also visit mercyforanimals.org slash get involved. There you can sign up to become a volunteer. Uh, there are ways to volunteer in your own town or to volunteer online. We have a lot of online actions. And again, that's mercyforanimals.org forward slash get hyphen involved. You can learn more about Kenny and MFA by visiting www.mercyforanimals.org. Kenny, are there any last insights that you might have for our listeners today? No matter what your skill set, your background, your talents, your interests, you can be a part of moving forward the cultured food movement. Um, there's so much opportunity to get involved, whether it's through taking political action or simply being a consumer of these products, sharing more information about these products online, on social media, by volunteering for organizations like the Good Food Institute, New Harvest, and the Cellular Agriculture Society, donating to these organizations, getting involved at, at the volunteer level. And you know, if you're a writer or in media, then sharing the story of this movement and these startups that, who are working to change the world for animals, the environment, and human health. Don't, you know, don't delay. We need all hands on deck to achieve this incredible feat of transforming our food system and ensuring that no farmed animals are raised in slaughter for food. And instead, we build a food system that is based on plant-based foods and cultured foods, uh, which are better for the environment, public health, and of course, animals.
Kenny, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your insight on the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode.